Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk, where we talk about all things investing. My name is Amin Reina, and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors, and this is episode 68. This week, I'd like to play for you a recording of a webinar that I delivered a couple of, yeah, it's about a month ago. Um, one of the things I'm doing a lot this year is I'm doing a lot of these uh, free webinars. I try to do one like one every month or every couple of months on a variety of different investing topics. And this particular webinar, uh, I called it uh, Beginning Your Investing Journey. Now, one of the things I get asked about all the time as when people find out I'm, I, I talk about stocks and investing and stuff like that is, is Amin, um, I have five thousand uh, dollars I want to invest it what should I do uh, Amin I have twenty thousand dollars I have fifty thousand dollars I've my I just got a severance payment or something from work um, I'd like to invest it in, uh, in an RSP what should I do what should I buy should I buy stocks should I buy TFS uh, ETFs should I buy mutual funds whatever I get a lot of these questions and what's interesting is that these questions when people ask these questions, people are looking for kind of an end game right away. They're looking for that that magic bullet kind of thing that said, give me that answer which is going to lead me to, you know, success. Uh, you know, let me maybe become a millionaire overnight kind of thing. Give me that magic, that golden ticket. And the problem with that, it's, it, it's really hard to, you can't answer that question right now. And I'm sure some people, you know, if you flick on CNBC, um, you know, Kramer or somebody like that will give you an answer for sure on this. But the reality is it's not an easy, these type of questions are not easy to just give you a straight up answer. Because the reality is when we're looking at investing, when you're trying to make investing decisions and try to figure out what to invest in, it's, the whole concept is, is really, to me, it's a journey. And there really isn't, there's so many different ways you can answer that question. And there's so many different solutions out there um, that could, that you know, you can put in front of people. And the reality is it just takes, there's different paths to being successful in investing. And so what this webinar is, what I, what I did in this presentation was try to talk about um, all the different paths that are aware, that are available to us. And, you know, I'll talk about things like, uh, you know, do-it-yourself investing, investing on yourself, making all the decisions for yourself, or just, you know, paying somebody else to manage your money. Like, these are all different types of paths. And it's important, especially if you're, and it's really, if you're, even if you're just starting out investing, you're at square one, you're just trying to figure this stuff out, um, or if you're somebody who's been investing for a long time but are not really seeming like you're getting any progress or you don't feel like you're going in the right direction, you haven't got any traction with your, with your portfolios, a lot of times it's really about maybe you're just not on the right investing path. And so what this webinar hopefully uh, tried to do was try to clarify that and introduce people to understanding there's different paths that you can go on um, in, 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 in this whole investing journey. And uh, so I talk about these paths and talk about the pros and cons of it. And I also, it's important that no matter what path you, know, you select that you end up going on or whatever path you've been on, there's some first principles you kind of need to have with you as you go along your journey. And so the webinar, I kind of talk a little, bit, a little bit about this stuff. Um, and uh, so at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a journey and there's paths available. And so in the webinar, I kind of talk about these paths and try to f answer that question of like, okay, what is the right investing path? Is there a sort of that magic, um, you know, golden brick, yellow brick road that's gonna lead, lead us to, to the promised land to invest in Nirvana? So that's what this uh, webinar is about. And so I'd like to play it for you. 
and hopefully you can have a good listen to it and uh, you know pick up some insights uh, out of it. And as I have been doing, I've only done a couple of these webinars, so I'm still trying to figure this stuff out. So I thought, you know, yeah, I had this checklist of all these things I had to do for this webinar, and I thought I had everything down, and I started the webinar and everything, but I forgot to do one critical thing. I forgot to press the record button. And so essentially about the first eight minutes <laughs> of, of, the set of the presentation, um, I didn't record them. Oops. So... Uh, Fortunately, I caught it in time, you know, because when you're talking, you're kind of like immersed in what you're talking about. The last thing you're thinking about is technical stuff. So, um, so I managed to just, I just sort of just realized, oh my God, I forgot to press the record button. So I managed to press the record button. And so we're going to jump, you're gonna, but the good thing is, is it was at the start of it and a lot of it was kind of like administration stuff um, and, uh, and some of the stuff that I've just talked about. So I just kind of like kind of set the stage, set the table for you as you, uh, you know, jump into to the webinar. So give it a listen. I uh, hope you have some, uh, bring some interesting insights and uh, we'll catch you again on the backside. So that's kind of, <laughs> I wouldn't say that's for everybody that's uh, had, had that kind of experience, but it's been, a, it's a bit of a dependency kind of experience. It's, it's, it doesn't, it leaves us with a little bit of a funny taste in our mouth. Um, as we start embarking on our investment journey. So here's one aspect, but then let's go deeper. Let's just say like now we're starting to look at investments and we're trying to figure out, okay, should I, what kind of stocks should I buy? Bonds should I buy? ETFs, mutual funds, uh, just putting in cash, money market funds, trying to figure out all these different products and try to figure out all these different things. And then also interpreting information out there uh, that's out there. And a lot of times then we're gonna run into this kind of, Dynamic. Okay, Peter writes, should I be worried about Bear Stearns in terms of liquidity and get my money out of there? No, no, no. Bear Stearns is fine. Do not take your money out. This is really, if there's one takeaway other than a plus 400 somewhere, Bear Stearns is not in trouble. I mean, if anything, it'll more likely be taken over. Don't move your money from Bear. That's just being silly. Don't be silly. Okay, just so you get a sense of what's causing the agony by this point, I know you've been talking about it. It's financials led by Bear Stearns after what essentially is a bailout from the Fed. Bear Stearns shares are down 90% this morning, and it's not just Bear. Pretty much every single bank is plunging in early trade this morning. Lehman, which is very similar to Bear and its reliance on fixed income, is down nearly 30%. You have big names like Goldman Sachs down 8%, Citigroup down 8%. So it is pain across the board this morning and as you know it all emanates from uh this well the shock this weekend uh, that jp morgan along with the fed was going to be bailing out bear stearns for two dollars a share this is a stock that recently was trading at 80 last year was trading at 160. it is the fifth biggest bank on wall street it is significant in that it is establishing a price for some of these hard to value securities and as you are well aware that price is pretty much zero and that's why you're seeing pain across the street now it's off yeah so then we interact with stuff like that now actually, I want to tell you a little bit of a story a bit of a story at really how I kind of had my aha moment and found myself uh, deciding that I want to start my own practice and become an investment coach um, especially since nobody else was doing it being an investment coach Around 2011, 
I was just finishing off my MBA and uh, as part of my finishing off my MBA, I had to do this project which required me to go to Hong Kong. So I went to Hong Kong and while I was there, there was a, a function, a business function uh, uh, out there. And uh, basically, um, the, 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 the keynote speaker was the chairman and CEO of Numura Security. So this is a big investment bank, one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, investment banks, uh, uh, financial services companies in Southeast Asia. So this, this guy was like a big deal over there. And so he gave a speech basically talking about how his company, how he got his company through the financial crisis 2008, 2009, how he steered his company through all the, the garbage that was going on. And he went through incredible detail about what he did to help his employees, how to, what he did essentially to save the business, and uh, which was important stuff and really interesting stuff. But I found one thing interesting, what he didn't talk about was what he did to help his customers. And I thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't think much about it. And I thought, okay, whatever. Later on that evening, um, a bunch of us were just hanging out and uh, just turned out like we ended up in a group with, with this gentleman, the chairman and CEO. And uh, he asked us, he said, what do you think of our speech? What do you think of my speech? Do you have any questions or anything like that? And I said, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to ask a question about this customer thing. So I asked him, I said, you know, you talked really eloquently about how you treated your customer. I mean, how you treated, you know, got the company through, uh, through, all, through the crisis and how you managed to protect jobs and save jobs and save the business. But you didn't tell any, uh, any can you provide any insight on what you had to do to the customers? Because they probably took a real hit through this. And I'm sure a lot of them lost a lot of money. And how did you help them get through that? And what did you do for them to, help, to, to get through that? And he basically said, you know, there's really two, give me two answers really. He said, first thing, is that every 10 to 12 to 15 years, you have to expect there's gonna be a crash. Stock markets are gonna crash, you're gonna have a meltdown, you're gonna have a crisis every 12 years, 10 to 12 years. So you, should, you need to understand that if you're gonna invest. Second point he said was, you have to understand that if you're gonna invest in stocks, stocks are risky and there's a pretty good chance you could lose all your money. And that was it. Now, on the surface, I really couldn't, I kind of agree with him, he was kind of right that you know, stocks are risky and guess what? Stock prices go up and stock prices go down. But I found this total detachment really between what he was trying to do as a manager and trying to help his customers. Like customers, right? These are the people that are keeping your company alive and these are the people that are paying your salary. And I found his response to be very cold and very detached and didn't have an element of empathy really for his customers. And I thought, hmm, like, Really? Is this is this how it is this how it goes? And uh, and uh, and uh, I go. This this isn't right. This there's got to be a better way to doing this. And it's that that moment that night was really for me my aha moment. And it kind of empowered me and pushed me to find a way where I can go and help people um, be more successful in investing. Because clearly. The mentality right now is the financial services companies and organizations, they're really, when times are going to get tough, they're going to look out for themselves and they're not going to look out for their customers. It's, it sucks to say that, but that's the reality. And I just heard one of the most powerful financial people around the world tell me that. And at the end of the day, we're all on our own and we all got to kind of up our game in terms of mastering some of this stuff because the institutions don't really seem to be interested. They're more than happy to take your money. They're more than happy to take our money. But after that, 
It's, you know, we're on our own. So, you know, when we're interacting with, with the world and the environment out there, we've started from a, a, a space where we thought, you know what, we're really enthusiastic. We feel like we're doing the right thing. We think we're, you know, we're, we're willing and we're motivated and everything. And then we start getting out and interacting and, you know, making some investment decisions, buying some stocks uh, and things all of a sudden we end up, our mindset sort of turns up like this. And how do we, how do people feel now? And after people's, most times when people are first, you know, interacting with, with investing, it's, they feel confused and frustrated and angry and demotivated. And so it's interesting because people at the start are, feel like they're going on a path. And then the next thing you know, people all of a sudden feel like they're on a ditch. They're in a ditch somewhere and they've gotten off the path and they have no idea why. And, uh, and meanwhile, their, their portfolio is shrinking and you kind of got that helpless feeling, especially after the 2008, 2009 crisis. That's a lot. I, so many people are of that mindset and still so many people are still recovering from what happened at that point. So the goal here for, for what I want to share with you today is if you're feeling like you're kind of in a ditch or you feel like you've been in a ditch and you're trying to write yourself up and trying to get on a path, I'm going to just kind of, kind of write up, write the ship a little bit for, for you and kind of talk about some different options that we have, some different paths that we all have available to us uh, in terms of how we can embark on our investment journey and try to figure out which one works for us. So, so that's kind of really what I want to talk about. I'm going to go through a couple of different um, paths that are available to us. I'm going to take a look at sort of the pros and cons of each of those paths and, uh, and, and, and try to figure out which one makes sense, which ones make sense. Is there a, an optimal path out there for us in terms of our investing journey? Now, before, we start, before I start talking a little bit about the paths, it's important that no matter what path we get on, that we kind of have some first principles in our back pocket, some really core first principles in investing. And honestly, if, if you take away anything from what I'm, gonna sh I'm sharing with you today, it's, it's, it's these kinds of principles. So first principle is really, I'm just gonna ask you a question. This is a question I ask people, and it's kind of a question we need to integrate in terms of how we make investment decisions. And it's, I'm gonna show this question, you're probably gonna like, go, Amin, uh, why are you stating the obvious here? Like, oh, we know, we know, I know the answer to this. Like, why, like, why are we even going here? Why do we invest? Like, what's the point? Why are we here? Like, why are you here in this webinar looking at me trying to learn about investing? What, what is the point? Now you're probably saying, well, yeah, I think I know what the point is. And, but I have, it has to be said. Why do we invest? We invest to make money. The goal here is to take our savings and to grow it into more savings so we can use it for whatever our day-to-day -day living down the road, education, buying a house, financial goals. We make investment decisions to make money. We don't make investment decisions to prop up a bank and we don't make investment decisions so people can get bonuses and commissions and stuff like that. At the end of the day, it's about us and we make investment decisions to make money. And it's amazing how far we get away from this very core principle. And the investment industry does a wonderful example of kind of uh, getting us away from it, distracting us from this really core uh, element. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, this is a quote I found from a, a blog, of, uh, an investment blog out there. And it's interesting. 
Invest quote, investors should be focusing their attention to more important investment decisions that are likely to have a bigger impact on overall success, such as savings rate, expenses, risk, fees, taxes, and behavior. Totally agree with this. This is absolutely valid stuff. When you're making an investment decision, you have to factor all these elements. You have to factor in costs, risk, fees, tax implications, uh, and behaviors. These are all elements, and this is what I teach. When I teach people how to invest, I, I teach people to, to factor these elements in there. But there's one thing that really overrides all of this stuff, and that's great if we find an investment that's really good with all these elements and meet our criteria, that's great. But at the end of the day, if we find a low-cost ETF, that's great. But if we're not making money off of it, we've not, it's not a good investment decision. Because at the end of the day, nobody is going to care whether you paid five basis points on your, on your iShares Emerging Market ETF. People are going to care how much money do you have in your iShares Emerging Market ETF. Nobody's going to parade you or me or anybody, any of us down the streets because we are, have the lowest cost portfolio. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about robo advisors in a little while, and I'm kind of going to bring this back into focus because there's an interesting example uh, I like to share with you on that. So core investment for first principles: Why do we invest? We invest to make money. Now I'm going to give you a more technical answer to the "why do we invest" question. And ultimately, as much as it's important to save and put money in the bank and grow our savings, the problem with that though is if we just take our money and just leave it in cash is that over time, the value of that money is gonna erode. Why? Because over time, the day-to-day -day costs of living, like rent, mortgage, electrical, food, you know, day camps, they go up, they trickle up. We have inflation out there. And as, if we, as prices go up, we need to make sure that the value of savings that we have keeps up with it. So if you just keep your money in cash and prices keep going up, what you're doing is essentially eroding your purchasing power, your ability to buy those things that you can afford now, you may not be able to afford them in the future. So we need to grow our savings at a rate that can protect our purchasing power from these future price increases. And that's a, it's a critical point to, to, to manage because, uh, again, the investment industry isn't going to tell you this. What they're going to be telling you about is you need to make investment decisions that beat the market. They're going to market products to you that say, buy this product, buy this mutual fund. It's outperformed the, the S&P 500 five of the last seven years. Outperformance. But this is the Wall Street, Bay Street um, culture. And they're trying to infuse it into your own personal investing decisions when it has really nothing to do with it. Why? Because it's impossible to outperform the market consistently over a long period of time. Nobody can do it. Buffett can't even do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. Nobody can do it. At the very least, we need to be growing our savings at a rate where we're at least keeping up with inflation. Inflation is like 1% to 2%. If we're growing our savings around 1% to 2% a year, we're doing pretty good. In terms of outperforming stock market, as I said, it's pretty much impossible to do. And it's a fool's game. Don't even try to do it. At the very best we can do, long-term stocks tend to out, uh, earn between 6 to 8%. And if you go back 150 years, that's about the rate, they, uh, the rate of return. So if your investments are earning 5 to 7%, that's pretty good. And if your investments one year happen to go over 10%, that's a fantastic year. But it's a year you're not going to have all the time. Realistic. We have to be realistic. Why do we invest? We invest to make money. How much money do we need to make? At the very least, we need to be earning enough to at least keep up with inflation. Critical points that you need to have as you go down your investing path. 
So let's talk about paths. There's all kinds of paths available to us, and I'm gonna share with you a whole bunch. A whole bunch of them, and I'm gonna talk about a few of them in a little bit more detail. So what paths are available to us? What options do we have um, in terms of investing our savings, in terms of growing our savings? Well, we have a bunch of them. The first way we can grow our savings is we can lend it to somebody. We can just literally give it to a friend, a family friend. Let's say they have an idea for a business, for a venture that's gonna potentially generate more cash. You can just give it to somebody and say, you know what, here, use it to start whatever you need to do, pay me back, and pay me back a little bit extra, which is another fancy way of saying interest. So we can give it, we can loan it to somebody. We can go loan it to a bank. We can loan it to a bank. Um, and they take it and then they invest it somewhere. And they pay us back interest for the time that we've been uh, uh, parted with our, with our money. Another way we can grow our wealth, or grow wealth, or create wealth is start our own business. Instead of investing with somebody else, invest in ourselves. Start your own, if you have an idea for a product or a service that you think a lot of people are gonna want, and there's a lot of demand for it, and people are willing to pay for it, then go out and sell that product. Start a company, um, start a website, and go sell it out. Go sell, that, go sell your product, go sell your service, go sell your expertise, go sell your skill. Um, where, you know, develop that entrepreneurial aptitude. Um, if you've read The Millionaire Next Door, uh, a good chunk of those people that are the unassuming millionaires are entrepreneurs, and they have been able to amass um, a lot of wealth through investing in their own self, investing in their own company. Third way we can grow our savings, and third way we can invest, is we can outsource our decision-making, our investment decision-making ability to somebody else, a third party, an institution, somebody else. Logic being, a lot of people feel that, you know what, I, I don't think I have the aptitude for it, I don't think I have the time for it, I don't, think I, I don't think I'm very good at it, I've done it in the past and I was really bad at it, and I think I'd rather give it to somebody who is a little bit more experienced, much more seasoned, more trained, and can do this so I can focus on something else, things that I'm good at. And traditionally, this has been the traditional way we've all invested. We've always kind of entrusted our money to another party, to either a broker, a stockbroker, uh, a financial advisor, a financial planner. Um, these days, you're seeing a lot more money coaches out there. I'm gonna talk about coaching in a, in a, in a little bit. Um, that's traditionally how we've invested. And now we can add another layer of outsourcing, which is robots. We can outsource our decision-making to a robot uh, or to an algorithm. And that's where those whole concepts of robo-advisors come in. I'm gonna talk about robo-advisors uh, shortly. So that's one, another path we can get on. We can just outsource our decision-making uh, to somebody else. And finally, the other path that we have that's available to us is, is a path that's, again, emerged, has emerged quite strongly over the last uh, 10 to 15 years. And that's basically going it alone in that we make the decision, you make the decisions yourself. And it's either, you know what, it's like either by investing in a, another, directly in another business, like a franchise, like a Tim Hortons, and running that as, a, as your own operation and generating profits and, and creating wealth that way. Or there's a more passive way that we do it, which is called basically going out and buying stocks. Buying, buying stocks, buying ETFs, buying mutual funds. Um, that's another way we can, we can grow our wealth and grow our savings. 
So as you can see, there's different paths out there that are available to us to create wealth. And some are going to work for you and some are not going to work for you. So for today, the purpose of today is I really am going to focus on number three and number four. I'm going to talk a little bit more, more get in a little bit more detail about the outsourcing kind of decision, like getting somebody else to manage your money or um, doing the, the do-it-yourself approach, going out and making all the investment decisions yourself. So I'm going to take a look at some of the pros, some of the cons, just to give you so you have a bit of, a, of an awareness and a clarity behind what these paths are and what are the implications are. And I'm also gonna talk about them in a context of the type of relationships you're gonna have with various people that you would be interacting with if you were to go down these particular paths, because it's important. <clears throat> so, let's look at, let's look at the outsourcing path. Let's look at getting somebody else to make the decision for us. So the type of people you're gonna be working with, you're gonna be working with people that are, have a lot of education, they're formally trained, they have you know, a business degree, they'll have um, certifications, like a security certificate, they'll have a, a professional designation, like a CFA or a CFP, um, like an MBA. Um, they're professionally trained. They've learned all the formal mechanics of making investment decisions of, and of just general personal finance. The one of the things you're going to have to expect is when you outsource your decision and you start working with these type of people, most times, more times than not, when you're outsourcing a decision, the decision making is really going to be resting in their hands. They're going to run the show for you. And I've, I put down here wearing the pants and some people are like, Oh, isn't that a little bit extreme? Um, the good ones, well, it'll be a more, it's a more uh, uh, collaborative kind of relationship, but there are a lot of people out there that manage other people's money that kind of just go out on their own and really don't give the client a lot of input into say. As once they've signed off on the authorization, they kind of go off on it. And I'm talking about those extreme cases where, you know, you have somebody who has a very low risk profile conservative investor and the next thing you know, their, their advisor, their broker is investing in soybean futures and derivatives and currency swaps, that kind of thing. And you have to understand when you're outsourcing your decision making, they're making a lot of those decisions for you. They may ask you about it and if you're strong enough and empowered enough, you will have a, 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 an equal conversation. But at the end of the day, they're running the show. Thing about when you're outsourcing too is that the people you're gonna be working with, they should be have experience. They should be battle tested. They should be have experience managing money, managing investments in a bull market, in a in a, in a up in a rising market, as well as in a falling market, in a bear market. They have the experience. They've seen the good and the bad, and have been able to manage through all of those type of situations. Uh, cool thing about. Uh, um, this type of uh, path is you get a lot more access to a lot more different types of investment products through your advisor, through a broker, through a planner, through a coach, through a money coach, um, and a more specialized kind of uh, support, more specialized type of uh, service. They can tell you specific. When you go, if you're going to outsource your decision making, you're basically telling, asking somebody, tell me what to do. Tell me how I should invest my money. Remember that time that I say I had $20,000, what should I do with it? This is where you can. This is where you could go and ask that kind of question. You're looking for advice. 
This type of approach, um, if you're outsourcing, the people that you're going to work with, they're going to have that, they should have that ability to develop a strategy, an investment plan, an ideology of how you're going to make investment decisions, how investment decisions, sorry, how investment decisions are going to be made. And they're going to execute that strategy. They're going to execute that investment plan um, for you. They're going to do all the dirty work. So it's, it's very much a hands-off thing for you. Now, I really call this type of path, it's kind of like when you're working with these kind of advisors and planners, you're kind of working with the, what I call family doctors. They're kind of the type of people uh, or type of institutions or groups of people that are going to kind of triage you. They're going to talk to you and, and kind of build an understanding of what you want to do, where you want to go. And then they're kind of going to bring in people. They're going <coughs> to refer people um, in their network that are going to support you and kind of help you uh, along in your path. And they're going to walk with you uh, down your investment path. So that's kind of the, that's the traditional way we've kind of outsourced our investment decision. We've got a broker. We get somebody. We've, we've got somebody that we can go talk to and we can go and manage our money on our behalf to be the stewards of our, of our savings. That's the traditional way we've done it. But now, over the last few years, we've seen a new dynamic enter the play in terms of outsourcing the decision. And that's with robo-advisors, online investment management firms. Basically, the gist of it is, if you haven't heard about what a robo-advisor is, what they do is you, it, they're, they're basically just web, they're, it's like a website. And you just go on a website and uh, you answer some questions about who you are, your, your demographic profile, where you are in your life, um, your risk profile, your tolerance for risk, how comfortable you are with investing, how experienced you are with investing. And based on this, they pretty much develop a profile of you and then will slot your profile according to, uh, to a portfolio that is going to be consistent with what your profile is. And what they're going to do with that profile is they'll allocate, develop an asset allocation, certain amount into stocks, certain amount into bonds, cash, real estate, whatever, and they'll manage it for you. And it's not necessarily a person that's going to be managing for you. It's really more an algorithm. Because the principle of a robo-advisor type of service is that they're kind of about asset allocation, keeping, developing an asset allocation of how much money you should be investing in different products and then staying to that asset allocation and readjusting it if certain uh, parts of your portfolio become too high or certain parts of your portfolio become too low. And it's all done online. And it's very, it's all done behind the scenes and you don't have to do anything. And, and in a sense, it's, uh, and most often, robo-advisors will incorporate ETFs because it's a lower cost and cheaper and easier to manage and implement. Um, so it's very technology-driven. And so if you're not a very technology-savvy kind of person, um, this might be a little bit intimidating, could be intimidating for you. Um, but it's the, the design, the value proposition really behind using a robo-advisor is really about cost. It's a bit, it's cheap in terms of comparing it to having a traditional uh, advisor. Their costs are somewhat cheaper. Um, there's more transparency involved in that they, you get basically access to your statements and your, and your status of your portfolio on a daily basis, literally on an hourly basis. And, uh, and, uh, and it's all done very passively. And the cool thing also about that is, uh, and it may not be a cool thing, you have to understand with the robo-advisor is you don't, there's not a lot of interaction you're going to have with a human being. Um, you might have a little bit of interaction at the start when you're setting up your robo-advisor account, but 
as you move on, um, the interaction becomes lower and lower. Now there's different robo-advisor companies have different levels of personal advisor, personal support, and it varies. But um, most times or not, uh, if you're gonna wanna talk to somebody, um, find out what's going on with your portfolio, robo-advisor may not give you that kind of quick, uh, real-time kind of answering, may not give you the depth of a, of a discussion. Uh, about your portfolio compared to talking to a personal uh, talking to a financial planner or a financial advisor the thing about these robo advisors is this model is it's very new and one of my issues right now with robo advisors is there hasn't been a lot of disclosure about performance remember that question i asked you why do we invest we invest to make money and so right now there hasn't been a lot of disclosure and transparency around how effective do these, do these robo-advisor services make, actually make money for people? And so far, invest, these robo-advisors have been very reluctant to share this kind of information. It's starting to change, and, uh, and it's good, and we're starting to get some sense. But the problem also is this, this model is so new. It's only been around a couple of years. So you really need to see about five or six years of meaningful data, meaningful performance data to really understand if these things actually are any better than going to a, to a human being, to a, to a financial advisor and have somebody financial, uh, having a financial advisor manage money on you compared to having a computer manage it for you. So we're starting to get some answers and I've been doing it personally. Uh, I started two years ago, I opened up an account with a robo advisory service purely for the purpose to try to answer this question, do, do, do these things make money? And I've been blogging about it, and uh, I just published a couple of weeks, uh, last week, uh, my two-year update, because I've had it for now two years, and so if you go on my website, www.sageinvestors.ca, you, uh, you, uh, you can see the latest updates and all my previous blogs about my personal experience with, with RoboAdvisor. So right now, they're pretty cool, and they're very seamless, and they're very slick, but we really don't know if these things are making any money. And back to that concept of performance, do these things actually make money? There's a company actually, I'll share with you, because I just saw it and I, I, I blogged about it. There's a company in the US, um, Condor Financial. They actually went out and invested in a whole bunch of different robo, put money in a different bunch of different US robo advisors and are doing kind of what I'm doing and tracking the performance. And it's interesting that um, and one of the, uh, the companies that they were tracking was Vanguard. They have a robo-advisor service. And if you know Vanguard, they're like the kings of ETFs, and their value proposition has always been about low-cost, cheap, passive ETFs. So they created their own robo-advisor uh, service. It's interesting in, their, in the, the Condor Financials analysis, they're one year just, it was just one year of data. So again, not enough to make a lot of conclusions. The Vanguard service, which was, again, low-cost, um, passive was actually the worst performing uh, robo-advisor um, out, of, out of them all. It, it generated 5% return, while the top performing one, which was Charles Schwab, was 10%. So it's interesting, and I talked about it. costs, uh, fees, all these things are important, but at the end of the day, if we're not making money out of this, then it's not, you're not making really the best investment decision. So we have to balance these things out. Costs are important. And I can show you the math why it's important over a 20, 30 year period. Um, but we need to be, it's, we have to come back to that first principle. We need to be making money off these things because otherwise we're not going to meet those goals that we've got uh, highlighted with ourselves. So 
if we summarize the pros and cons of outsourcing our investment decision, the good things about it is from your perspective, not as much work because somebody else is doing all the work for you. Not as much time commitment. Somebody else is doing all that stuff for you. You're leveraging professional experience. People who have experienced long-term experience investing. Um, you're going to have more of an opportunity to interact with somebody and actually build a relationship in that sense of it and have a kind of a relationship. The robo-advisor model, not so much, but the traditional ways, yes. Um, you get kind of an access to a network, an information network that can give you information and provide you more specialized services. That's a cool thing to have. Um, a thing that's the one, if you're gonna work with an advisor or a financial planner, the one of the things you really, the really good ones out there, one of the skill sets that they should have is that kind of have that ability when times get a little rough with your portfolio to kind of hold you back from doing something emotional and reacting to something and selling all your stuff in your portfolio. They just have a really good knack of helping you get out of your own way. Because a lot of times what screws us up when we're making investment decisions, it's ourselves. It's our emotions. They clouds our judgment. And there's all kinds of different biases out there that we that interact with us, that we come into contact on a day-to-day -day basis that can screw with our minds and lead us to make bad investment decisions. And I actually teach a course on this, on cognitive behaviors. It's part of my everyday investing course uh, courses. And I teach people how to become more aware of their emotions uh, when they're framing investment decisions. Because it's a big deal in terms of, to me, I think it's one of the big reasons why people have a hard time investing. Emotions come into play and really cloud our judgment. Even though you got somebody managing your money, you could technically blame them. If something goes wrong, you said, well, you know what, they, they did the, they, I didn't ask them to do that. I, they lost all my money, I'm not really happy about it, so I can blame them, I can sue them or whatever it is. Yeah, you can technically do that, but at the end of the day, when you sign off on somebody else managing your money, it's, you're the, you're, you really have nobody to blame but yourself. We're all accountable for our own decisions that we make, and that includes outsourcing and letting somebody else manage your money. So yeah, you could technically blame somebody for your, if something goes wrong, if you outsource, but at the end of the day, it's really your bad. Now, the thing about outsourcing that you need to be aware of is somebody, when you give somebody else the authority to manage your money, you're giving up control. You're giving up some or a good chunk of your control and ability to make decisions. That's why you're doing it, right? <coughs> uh, another uh, drawback is it's gonna cost you more. The fees, and the, uh, uh, the fees and the costs for getting somebody else to manage your money are gonna be a lot higher, are gonna be high. And to cloud things even more, if you decide to go down this path, you have to be aware of various different compensation structures or fee structures. There's differences between what a commission is and what a fee is. And there's differences, You'll, you might encounter a financial planner or a financial advisor that might be a fee-based advisor or a fee-only advisor. Um, and they're different. The, the costing structures of each of these type of uh, services are very different. And you have to be very careful for what you're kind of going to be paying for. So, and because, again, the industry had, does a wonderful job of trying to muddy up the waters and clouding the waters and make things and change the word and wordsmithing how they charge fees. So you have to be really diligent to understand what you're paying for. And again, as an investment coach, that's what I do. I actually coach people how to work with their own advisors and find out if they're actually paying the fees that they should be paying. Now, 
Another issue also with going down this outsourcing route is transparency. Um, one of the real issues and one of the things people really complain about with, with the investment industry is the lack of disclosure in terms of like how their portfolios, how our portfolios are doing. It's very difficult to really sense if we're actually making money or not making money. It's difficult to figure out what our costs are. How much, is the, how much is, are the banks taking off our portfolio? And it's been a constant struggle and a frustration. Recently up here in Canada, they've introduced new legislation and, and policy in terms of, it's called CRM2, which mandates all financial services companies to be much more transparent in terms of the costs for fees, commissions, and performance and put it basically in plain English so everybody can understand it. That just came into effect last year and we're starting to see the impacts of it. Um, there's a lot of worry and a lot of hand-wringing in the industry that well, as soon as people find out how much they're actually paying for this type of service, that people are just going to pitch it and just go somewhere else. So it'll be really interesting. We're in early days of this, but understand it. Transparency is a, has been a, a, an ongoing struggle. Um, when you're working with financial institutions. The other thing you gotta be aware of too, when you're gonna work with an advisor, or work, these are businesses you're gonna be working with. They're in the business to make money. And so yeah, they'll charge you to manage your portfolio, but they wanna make money, and they gotta grow their business. And a lot of times they're gonna grow their business by trying to upsell you, trying to actually get you to kind of tweak your portfolio and kind of integrate something else that may not be really great for you, but it might be more margin for the business, for the advisor. So you have to be aware of that kind of thing. You're going to find yourself getting a lot of upselling. And this isn't true also of robo-advisors. I've been, in my portfolio, I've been upsold to buy like sustainable development um, ETFs, and, uh, which have nothing to do with my core portfolio, but they're pitching it. So you got to be aware of the, the uh, upselling. Finally, and the thing I didn't really talk about is the fiduciary duty. Um, Ultimately, when you're outsourcing your investing decision, uh, the people that you're hoping, you're hoping the people that are going to be making decisions on your behalf are going to be making those decisions in your best interest. And if they're doing that, they're hold, upholding themselves to a, what's called a fiduciary standard. Now, it's fiduciary standard. It's not some kind of legal type thing. It's kind of like a, a principle of people who work as a professional advisor. And a lot of times, they don't follow it. <laughs> because it's not a really like a legal kind of uh, requirement, it's very used, very, the interpretation of what a fiduciary standard is or what, how much, how, how far uh, should an advisor go to bat for you is dubious at best. In the US, they actually were going to introduce a standard uh, legislation to have a fiduciary standard, but now with, the, uh, with Trump in there, they're now looking to roll that back and get rid of it. And so a lot of people are saying, okay, it's going to really be a bad thing for investors. So fiduciary standard, make sure the people that are managing your money are doing it in your best interest and not just doing it so they can prop up their own uh, for a bonus or something like that. So that's the outsourcing decision. You're pretty much giving the money to somebody else and they're going to run the show for you. Now, the other path that we have that we're available, and as I said, it's a new kind of path. It's been around only like 15 years, 15, 16 years, is just basically doing everything yourself. And literally, it means doing everything yourself. All the activities that are required that go into executing and managing your money, you're doing it yourself. So what kinds of things are you going to do yourself? You're going to you're gonna basically, you have to come up with your own investment ideology, your own investment plan. How are you going to invest? 
What's your criteria for investing in stocks? What's your criteria for selling a stock? What's your criteria for buying an ETF, selling an ETF? You have to come up with this. You're responsible and you own that process. Infrastructure, you gotta set up your own uh, brokerage accounts. You're gonna manage your own brokerage accounts. Buying and selling, all that stuff, you're gonna do it. Execution of the strategy, exactly. As I said, like you are going to press the buy button. You are gonna press the sell button. It's all on you. Administration, managing statements, interpreting the statements, managing the account, uh, accounting for fees, paying any additional fees and stuff like that. That's what you're gonna do. That's what you do, you're gonna do that on your own. Research, trying to figure out what kind of stocks you wanna buy and what kind of stocks you wanna sell. Figuring out what ETFs to buy, figuring out what bonds to buy. You gotta do the research. You're gonna do the research yourself. So traditionally, we relied on analyst reports, investment reports, um, but now with the internet, you know, you can get information on anything. Um, social media now um, is out there. It's an incredible wealth of storage of uh, information and insights about investing. The, there's just a mountain of information out there that you now have to go through if you choose to go down this path. Any fees or any uh, obligations that you have to pay for your portfolio, for managing your portfolio, you've got to be accountable for it. Taxes and stuff like that, you've got to be accountable for it. Now, I'm probably giving you a really daunting um, list of things you have to go. It's like, oh my God, I have to do all this stuff. Um, the cool thing, though, is the reason why it's become more popular. Uh, do-it-yourself investing is because technology has been a great enabler in taking and automating and making things a lot simpler, making a lot of these tasks a lot easier to do. So technology is a real is your friend here um, if you're going to go down this do-it-yourself uh, do-it-yourself investing role. Again, in terms of pros and cons, um, the good thing is you're running the show, so you control everything. So if you're the type of person who wants to be kind of needs to know everything that's going on, then the do-it-yourself invest, do-it-yourself path is probably going to be more more conducive to you instead of worrying what somebody else is doing for your money, doing with your money. Because you got everything under, you know what's going on. You're going to be able to control your costs a lot better. You're not paying somebody else to manage your money, so that money you're paying somebody else is you're reinvesting it back into your into your portfolio. Ultimately, because you're able to know what you're paying and you know what's going on with your portfolios, you should be able to sleep better. You should have a, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be worrying too much about what your portfolios are doing. Um, and you have, and we live in a time now where you can get information on anything. So it has never been a greater time to be a do-it-yourself investor than it is now. Problem is though, and I'll, well, I'll get it to in the, in, the, in the negative side of it. So those are the good things about uh, being a do-it-yourself investor going down this path is that you kind of control, you have a lot of control on how things are gonna shake out in your path. Now, as much as you can say you have a lot of control, um, it can actually work against you. And if you get to a kind of a person, if you're the type of person who kind of likes to micromanage a lot of stuff um, and kind of overanalyze things, it's very easy to get analysis paralysis on this. So you, it's nice to have control, but sometimes too much control can freeze you from making more effective investment decisions. You just need to be aware of it, that's all. Time commitment, obviously, if you're doing all this stuff, it's, it requires a time commitment. You're gonna have to set out a good chunk of time to do this stuff. The other thing about it also, and you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, and the thing about investing, at times, you, require, require, you really gotta love this stuff. If you you got to be really into this stuff because you know what? It can be really boring. I'm being honest with you. Investing can be really boring. And I'm probably not the first person to say that. Um, 
Investing a lot of time is a very iterative process. It's very repetitive. Step one, step two, step three, repeat. Step one, step two, step three, repeat. And you're doing this with every company over and over and over. And if you do it over a lot of times, it gets pretty monotonous and it gets pretty repetitive and you can find yourself going, falling asleep. It is a boring process, but it can be a very lucrative process. You can't blame anybody because, hey, you know what? You're accountable for this. You're making all the decisions, so you can't go blame the advisor. You can't go blame the bank for, for, for you making a bad investment decision. It's on you. You own it. And as I said before, it, investing can be very repetitive and very iterative, so you got to really be really passionate. you got to really love doing this stuff. you got to really love getting into the numbers and understanding businesses and understanding um, you know, the external environment, managing risk, valuing companies. you got to really be into that kind of stuff. And finally, <clears throat> as much as it's great to have a lot of information out there, it can be too much information. We can drown in information. We can have information overload. And a lot of times also, the information that's out there, a lot of it's just noise and it's a lot of junk. And so you gotta spend a lot of time kind of filtering out the good stuff from the bad stuff. And it could just take, again, very time consuming. Very time consuming. So, those are a couple of paths. These are some of the paths that are available to us. We can go and outsource our, our decision-making to somebody else, let somebody else manage our money, or we can take full control of the decision-making process and do it ourselves. So the question is, what is the right path? And is there kind of like the optimal magic path for us? Is there, is there truly that yellow brick road that's gonna lead us to uh, investing Nirvana? And the answer is, we're asking a totally wrong question here. The right path for us, the right question we really need to be asking for, we need to be asking is, what is the right path for me? The reality is, every one of us are gonna walk on, are gonna take very different, totally different investing paths. There's not gonna be one, there's no one single investing path that is gonna work, that's gonna work for everybody. We really need to ask ourselves, we're, the path we're going to walk on is really truly going to be our own path. So how do we figure out what is the right path for me? Now, anytime I work with somebody like a progress, a, per, a perspective, like a protege or a perspective investor that I'm going to work with and teach and mentor, one of the first questions I ask them is how much time do you want to commit to this? How much time truly do you want to commit to learning and becoming a better investor, becoming a successful investor. And the reason why I say that, and I ask that question really from the context of, of my experience. I love investing. You know, I, I went to school, I learned about finance, I got my finance degree, I did my securities course, you know, I did my MBA. I love investing. When I got out of school, I always started learning investing. I just nerded out. I've always nerded out on this stuff. It's the concept of analyzing companies and analyzing businesses, st analyzing stocks and investing in them and making money to me was, is, is a rush. I just love doing this stuff. I would spend like literally like till th three and four in the morning when I, when I was in my younger years and just crunching numbers and stuff like that. I love doing that. But that was when I was, when I was younger. Now, I'm married. I got two kids. I got a, a two-year-old and a five-year-old and who consume pretty much all of my time, my waking time while I'm awake. And 
the amount of time that I have to devote to making investments is just not the same as what it was when I was younger in my twenties. It just isn't. And that's just me. I also known over time, I've also known that, you know what, investing, it's really not a lot of, a lot of people don't like investing. It just, a lot of people just couldn't be bothered with investing. And you know what? I'm going to say something here. It's totally okay. If you couldn't be bothered to learn all the intricacies of buying or selling stocks or ETFs or mutual funds or setting up a portfolio and managing and all that, it's cool. It's okay. <clears throat> it's, it's totally okay. We know we should be invest. We, a lot of people don't like to invest, but we know we should be investing. Why? Because that question I asked, remember, why do we invest? To make money, protect our purchasing power. We know we should be doing, but we don't want to do all the legwork. And that's okay, because if you don't want to do that, then hopefully now you'll see there's a path for you. Maybe it's better off to have somebody else managing your money so you can pursue things that you are more passionate about. Maybe if you're more technology savvy, maybe it's, you're better off and you really couldn't be bothered investing. Maybe you're better off um, talking looking at a robo-advisor kind of service and passively investing and having that exposure to stocks and bonds and know you have that exposure and again, allows you to pursue things you're more passionate about. Now, if you're the other type of person who is like, you know what, I really want to learn this stuff. I'm very analytical in my thinking. I'm an analytical thinker. I like analyzing things. I like measuring things and things like that. And I want to learn the intricacies of the stock market and I have the time and I'm willing to commit the time to learn the intricacies of the stock market. Then maybe going do it yourself going down that path is a better path for you than having somebody else managing your money. You may not be comfortable with it. It really depends where you are in your space. And so that's why I said there is no single investing path that's going to be ideal for all of us. We're all going to find our own investing path. But the, the X factor in for you to decide what your investing path is, is trying to figure out how much you want to commit to, this cause, commit to the cause. That is the fundamental th uh, element that is going to drive your decision-making and ultimately determine what kind of path you're going to get on, what kind of investing path you're going to get on. So commitment is a key factor in framing, in, fr in, 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 in terms of determining how successful you're going to be in your investment, in your investing journey. The other thing that's constant when you select your path, whatever path that's going to be, is as much as you're going to be the one walking down the path, you're going to be walking down the path with other people and you kind of have to know how to deal with them and you kind of have to know how to coexist with them. You can't just go down and be a do it yourself investor and have nothing to do with the financial service. You're going to be still interacting with the financial services industry. You're still going to be needing somebody to bounce ideas off. You're looking at an investment decision and you know what? I want a third party to kind of look it over and kind of tell me if I'm crazy or not, or give me a different perspective. You can be walking down the outsourcing decision and you're going to be working with the, a personal finance advisor, a money coach, uh, uh, a planner, a broker, and you need to know how to interact with them and how to have that meaningful conversation so they are working for you. So that's another type of uh, a relationship. These are types of relationships you're going to have to forge no matter what kind of path you're going to walk down. And so I, I, I talk about this concept of relationships because it really comes, I'm trying to bring it to, to, to the whole concept of coaching which is what I do. In my experience, the people that I see that are really good at investing, really know and are successful at investing, they all of them 
they, they, they possess really three core competencies. And I call them the triple E. First thing is they're educated. And I'm not talking about Ivy League, Harvard Business School, you know, 10 degrees, like a master's and a PhD and all that kind of stuff. Uh, educated. Educated in the sense that they're financially literate enough to understand, to have in their back pocket an understanding of core principles of how wealth is created and how to make an investment decision. And it's not just the mechanics of making an investment decision, it's the emotional, the behavioral side of it. They're very good. These people are very, very good at the mechanical and behavioral sides of making investment decisions. They're not like PhDs. They're just literate enough, literate enough to understand the core fundamentals. So education is a core competency. Second element is engagement. They're engaged in the process. One of the things we don't do very well and why people get frustrated with investing is they don't practice it enough. We just don't practice this stuff enough. And it's important to practice because in order to get good at something, you have to engage in it. And to become more experienced in something, you have to practice. And then you have to get feedback to find out if you're doing well. So engagement is an important part. The people that are really successful at it, even if they're going down the do-it-yourself path, which is, self -ob which is kind of obvious, they're engaged. If you're going down the do-it-yourself path, um, you're pretty engaged in the process. You should be pretty all over what you're doing. But if you're going down where you're outsourcing your decision-making, you're going down that path, it's a little hard to get engaged, but you still can still be engaged by, again, this is about developing the relationship and developing a proper relationship with the people that are managing your money to stay engaged. And as an investment coach, I coach people how to work with their advisor and so that they can have that engagement. So you can outsource your decision-making, have somebody else do all the work, but you could still be engaged in the process. Final element, and which is really the product of the first two, education and engagement, is empowerment. It's confidence. If you're educated and if you've got an, if you're financially literate and you're engaged in the process, you're practicing the process, you're going to have more confidence, more confidence in dealing, making decisions, and you're going to have more confidence in dealing with other institutions out there who are making those decisions for you if you're going down that other path. These, to me, are the core competencies of really successful investors. I call them the triple E. And when people ask me, what do you do as an investment coach? Well, essentially, this is what I do. I basically try to elevate people's competencies. I try to elevate people's triple E. I try to get them the triple E. I try to educate them. I engage them. I try to get them more engaged in the process. And I try to give them more confidence. Because I find when you do these three elements, the rate of which people make successful investment decisions goes way the hell up. The one thing I, when I talk about a coach and what I do as a coach, one of the things I do is I teach and I engage and I empower people. What I'm doing though is I'm create, giving people as an investment coach, I'm giving people more of uh, an independence. Because ultimately what we want, I want people to do is to, to be successful investors on their own, to not be dependent upon an institution or a, a, a person or anything. I want them to be able to make those decisions on their own, be empowered and make those decisions on their own, which is very different from the traditional forms of financial advice where there's a dependency in the in a relationship. I'm going to them saying, tell me, tell me what I should invest in. I'm that guy saying I have $25,000. What should I do? Under a coaching relationship, I've already learned how to do those fundamentals. I should be able to make those decisions on my own. And so these are a list. This is a comparison. It's on my website where I compare investment coaching and investment advice. And again, these are elements you need to be aware of no matter what path as you decide what path you're going to walk on. So we're coming to the end of the presentation. And uh, 
one of the things I like to do at the end is I like to summarize kind of, you know, you know, what do you know now that we didn't know an hour ago? And hopefully there's a few things you hopefully are going to come away from this presentation that I've been able to share with you. First thing, we should know very clearly of why we're investing, why we're even doing any of this, why we're even sitting, going to webinars and, you know, taking courses and reading books about investing. Why are we investing? We're investing to make money. How much money do we need to make? At least enough to cover our purchasing power so we can afford the things we need to survive well into the future. We've talked about the paths. There's a bunch of them out there. And the reality is there is no magic golden path. And the reality is we're all gonna be walking on different paths because we're all coming from different spaces and different circumstances and our time commitments are gonna be very different. And that time commitment is really that X factor that's gonna determine what kind of path we're gonna go on. <coughs> and our motivation. If I'm not bothered to learn about investing, if I don't care about investing, but I know I need to be doing it because I need to protect my purchasing power, Maybe I need to be more passive and let have somebody else or some institution or some computer manage my money. If I want to be more hands-on, then maybe I want to go down a do-it-yourself kind of path. But ultimately, it's really about the time and our motivation. How much of that are we willing to commit to the cause? Because that's ultimately going to determine what type of appropriate path that's going to work for you. <clears throat> we talk about the triple E. No matter what path you're gonna walk on, you need to be developing these three core competencies. No matter what, if you're gonna do it yourself or you're gonna have somebody else managing your money, you still need to be developing. You still need to develop the education, you need to be engaged in the process, and you need to be more empowered. And you should be more empowered coming out of it. Critical element. One of the things I also do when I teach people, when I, when I do my courses or anything like that, if you've got taken my, uh, yeah, all my courses, is I always like to leave homework. So what I'd like to do for you is, as you go away from this webinar, I want you to think about a couple of things. I'm giving you some homework. First thing I want to ask you, I want you to do is, seriously, look, have a conversation with yourself and really understand, you know, you've come to this webinar to learn about investing, to learn something about investing. How committed are you really to learning about investing? Are you really willing to put the time into it? Are you really motivated to want to learn about investing? And be honest, it's okay. If you're not motivated to do it, it's cool. Because there's a path for you that'll still allow you to be engaged in the process, <clears throat> but you're not over-invested, I guess, <laughs> excuse the pun, uh, in terms of your time, in terms of what's important to you. Figure out how much time you're willing to commit. And once you figure that out, then select your path. Select the path that works for you. We've gone through a bunch of them here. Figure out one which is more compatible with your lifestyle. Once you've selected the path, develop a plan. Develop an ideology. How are you going to invest? What is the game plan? What are your rules of engagement? How are you going to pick stocks? You want to buy stocks? How are you going to pick them? How are you going to analyze them? How are you going to sell them? Now, I realize that's probably something you're not gonna be able to do on your own. So for this kind of step, I would encourage you to work with an advisor, work with a, a coach, work with an investment coach. They can help you out. Finally, start working on that triple E. Start educating yourself. Start learning about the intricacies of investing. Again, if, 
it depends again how much time you want to put into it. If you really want to learn the intricacies of investing and you want to buy individual stocks and bonds and you're willing to put the time into it, there's a path. If you want to be more passive and you know you just want to be invested, maybe learn stuff more about ETFs. I'm going to talk about both those, both of those types of courses or education in a second. Finally, at the end of the day, when you've made these commitments to yourself, honor them. Engage in the process. Don't just say, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Do it. And again, it's the beauty of what I do as an investment coach. I get people to do it. I kind of, you know, it's almost like being a personal uh, trainer. I get people to do, to engage in the process. So that's some homework. And uh, go away. Think about these questions. Because maybe next week I'll send you an email and say, hey, have you thought about these questions? What is, what is your answer? What's your plan of attack? What's your, what's your call to action? Now, as I said, as an, uh, as an investment coach, I spend a lot of my time teaching people how to invest. I, te- I spend time pe- teaching people the mechanics of making investment decisions and the behavioral side, which is just as important. And what I've done traditionally is I've done it old school style. I've sat in a classroom. I've sat in a boardroom. I've sat in a Starbucks. And I just teach this stuff. And I developed a whole bunch of modules, learning modules that I use to help teach people how to invest. Over the last while, technology has, has ramped up its game, and now there's mechanisms out there where I can take this, the learnings and the modules that I've developed and teach people how to invest uh, online on an on-demand basis. And so what I've done is I've created uh, two types of courses. One is called the Everyday Investing Course, which is a more, uh, sophisticated, more not sophisticated, but more in-depth um, set of courses, which teaches people how to buy and sell stocks. And I developed about eight non-modules, and the cool thing is they're all online, so you can stream them, you can watch them on your phone, your computer, your tablet, your pod, you can podcast them, I have, you can download the podcast versions, there's worksheets, templates, um, all meant to teach you how to buy and sell stocks in, without making it like an academic chore, because that's the key thing. So I invite you to check it out, and if you're interested, um, I'm giving. I'd like to give you a little bit of an incentive to do it. In that, if you're interested in purchasing any of the courses, uh, you can uh, use this this uh, this uh, promo code SageWebinar25, and you can get 25% off the courses between now and the end of the month. So if you're interested, check them out and invite it. So that's the Everyday Investing course, and these are the modules that are involved. And I start very first principles, like understanding what how we create wealth in our society. What are the core principles of investing? And then we build on them. We build on them. We provide, I provide you tools. You know, how to read financial statements. How to analyze the economic environment. You know, what interest rates go up. Currencies go up. What does that mean? What does that impact? How does that impact stocks? We see that every day on the news. What does that mean? How to measure risk in stocks. How to determine if a stock is cheap or expensive. Putting a framework around it. Making that investment decision. How do you, you know, in a, making a, a core uh, solid investment decision. I teach you how to do that. I teach you about all the different investment products. There's millions of them out there. Which ones are the ones that are relevant for you? And then finally, the behavioral piece, where we talk about the, all the different biases out there that can really screw with our judgment and really screw with our investment decision making, all in one comprehensive program. I'm really proud of this. It's, uh, I don't know anybody who's doing anything like this. Um, it's a really, I, I, I really feel the feedback I get from it. It's really solid. And I love what, I love what I've quote, I've put together with it. I invite you to check it out. At the same time, there's a lot of people that don't want to learn about stocks, want to learn about investing, but may want to be focusing on ETFs, which are becoming much more mainstream now. And so I've actually developed a three hour course 
on how to invest in ETFs. And I cover all the elements, like from square one. What is an ETF? What's so good about them? How do I, how do I evaluate an ETF to determine if it's a good ETF or a bad ETF? I teach you all that stuff. And I also teach you also what to look out for, because ETFs are a lot more complicated than what they used to be. They're a lot more complicated because the industry is now getting their hands uh, all over these type things. It used to be nice, pure, simple products, much more complicated now. Uh, and it requires a different type of analysis to understand them. So again, same principle, check it out. Um, you can actually see some sample slides in there. And if you're interested, uh, the promo code is there. And uh, for a limited time until the end of the month, you can get it at a 25% discount. So I realize it's a lot, and I think we've even gone aboard uh, even over time and, uh, which I apologize for cause I know people have to get back to work and stuff like that, but that's what it is. And if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to answer them. I know I've covered a lot of material here. So let's see if you have any questions. Okay, there's a question here about uh, robo-advisors. Uh, my experience with robo-advisors. Um, I talked a little bit about robo-advisors. Uh, I said they're so new and they're, they're really taking the industry by storm. And you know, a lot of people are talking about them being a really disruptive force and, and really disruptive in the sense that um, the monopoly in terms of costs like basically banks and investment companies have been able to charge whatever the heck they want and get away with it because there's been really no element of competition. Uh, but now these guys have come in and using ETFs, which are much more low cost than mutual funds, uh, basically, you know, set a lower price point and are using academic research saying passive investing, just investing in a broad basket of stocks is, is much more effective in the long term than investing in selecting specific uh, stocks or specific assets. And uh, they're making, you know, the, the tide is turning. And uh, so they're making a lot of, they're disrupting. They're making a lot of, uh, they're getting people nervous. The banks are starting to become nervous with them all. Now the question is, as again, um, do you make money? How can you make money using this stuff? And uh, the answer is, we don't know right now because they're so new. And uh, there just isn't much of a track record. Now, I know like companies like there are trying to get a track record. And now the, the robo-advisor companies are starting to become a little bit more open. And in fact, actually, the, my robo-advisor that I use actually put on their website a little bit of a portfolio history of their various different uh, types of portfolios that they, that they manage, which they never did before. But um, it seems like they're starting to turn around. And I think it's only in their interest to do this stuff because – Mutual funds and other companies and financial companies have to disclose this stuff. And why these guys get uh, a pass on it, I don't understand. But I think it's only in their interest to be more transparent in terms of performance because um, it's in their interest. Because then if they're really truly all that they claim to be, if they truly claim the passive investing, you know, investing in broad ETFs and stuff like that is better than investing in mutual funds and stuff like that, then the, the results should speak for themselves and then the market will reward them accordingly. They'll, their customers will reward them uh, accordingly. So if, if it's what they're saying is all that it is, then put it out there. Tell us what you're doing. So it's starting to happen a little bit by little bit. It's starting to happen. I can give you my own personal experience. Uh, as I said, my portfolio, I've had it for two years. The first year I lost 2%, 2.15%. 2 
And the second year, last year, was a really good year. It was up 13%. So since I opened up the account, I think I'm up almost 9%. So it's okay. It's making money. Um, I'm happy with it. My costs are pretty low. They're about 0.4%. Um, so 40 basis points. Um, so I paid a total of, I think, 10 bucks, I think, in fees last year. I invested the $5,000 minimum in this particular portfolio. So my fees are a lot lower because they you don't pay fees on the first 5,000. Um, but so far the experience has been, you know, it's, it's delivering, but again, it's only two years. Um, I'm not ready to pronounce a lot of judgment on them. I think we still need to see how these things perform. So I'm keeping an eye on it. Good things I've noticed with these portfolios, which I was concerned about was that, are they going to churn? Are they going to keep like buying and selling, um, different kinds of, uh, ETFs, different kinds of assets. And so far, you know, when it started, they did a, little modification in the bond section of it. But um, overall, it's been pretty stable. Like, they, like I don't even think last year they made actually sold anything from my portfolio. They kept everything and they just added and adjusted um, the weightings of the allocations, but they didn't really do much. And that's great. That's what you want to see there. So what that in that sense is positive in that they're delivering what they're advertising. They say they're going to deliver. Now the market is the market and you can't control what the market's going to do. But in terms of what they've said they can do and in terms of performance, how that's, you know, how they've been able to uh, leverage whatever performance out there in the market is doing, it's okay. So it's okay. I, right now I can't say anything awful about them. Um, but at the same time, it's only two years and uh, we just need to see, and more important, we need to see these things under stress. So we really need to see a real serious crash in the market and see how these things behave. And more importantly, we need to see how people behave because if people just freak out and sell all their stuff out of the robo portfolio, then, then it really isn't about having a computer manage it. Again, it becomes the emotional side of it. So that's my take on robo portfolios. Um, that's, you know, that's in terms of that take. Uh, another question. <clears throat> Uh, investment coaching, what's the difference between like investment coaching and traditional, yeah, the traditional advice. Again, that's uh, kind of, I alluded to it, investment coaching to me, it's actually, you bring it up. It's actually a good point in terms of coaching because you're seeing a lot of people, um, like when I started coaching was like, no, nobody was doing, there was nobody branding themselves as a coach. And it's interesting over the last year. Now all of a sudden we're seeing, you see out there money coaches, and you're seeing a lot of people that have branded themselves who are, who are traditionally personal financer, uh, personal financial planners or advisors branding themselves as money coaches. And to me, I think part of it is a lot of it is marketing because at the end of the day, they've just changed the brand, but at the end of the day, they're still providing financial advice. They're still providing advisory services. And at the same time, and some of them are, it depends which ones are, some of them are still selling product and getting commission and getting paid for it, but they're saying they're a coach. To me, a coach is, a true coach doesn't tell you what to do. And a true coach really, and it comes out, it's the triple E. And I'm using it from, a, uh, from an investing perspective, but you could use it from you know, a personal uh, health perspective, like a training perspective. Uh, corporate uh, career development perspective. Like to me, the triple E is, is coaching. And if somebody, if you're going to walk into a deal with somebody who's saying are they're, that they're a money coach, ask them, do they 
train? Do they teach you how to invest? Do they teach you about personal finance? Do they engage you in the personal finance? Do they involve you in the process? Do they get you engaged in the process? And at the end of that, do people feel empowered? Are they people are, are they creating empowerment with their customers and with their clients? If they're not doing that, then they're really not coaches. And so if I were to tell you, if you're out there and you're going to be looking for somebody to manage your money and they say that they're a coach, but they're really selling you products, then they're really not a coach. And then you may want to ask some questions of whether if you really want to be involved with that. Um, a coach is teaching. Like I teach. A true coach mentors people, teaches people, and teaches people to make the decisions themselves. Like I don't tell somebody, go buy this stock, go buy this ETF. Somebody will come and say, what do you, I want to buy this stock. I want to buy Apple. And I'm, my, my response is, okay, show me what you do. Show me your thought process. And we discuss their thought process. And I go, have you thought about this? Have you considered this? Have you looked at their uh, return on invested capital? What is their cost of capital? Do you think this is a risky business? We have that conversation. But at no point do I say, go do this. Go buy the stock. Go sell the stock. At the end of the day, the client that I'm working with, they are going to make that decision because it's about accountability. They have to be accountable for the decisions that they're making. And I hold people accountable for the decisions that they're making. So that's a big difference between what a coach does, a real coach, a coach in the purest sense of the word, and uh, an advisor. And if you go on that, that slide I showed you, the difference between investment coaching and a, uh, advisory, uh, uh, investment advice and investment coach, it shows you very clearly what the difference are. And they're very different type of relationships. So good question. Um, I, I get this question asked a lot because nobody, like investment coach, what, the, like, what do you do? What does that mean? Like, what does that involve? Because nobody knows. It's a very new concept. But, and I've had spent a lot of time explaining people what the difference is. And, uh, and now with the more proliferation of people branding themselves as coaches, it's uh, creating uh, different kinds of expectations and different kinds of uh, kind of altering what the true spirit of, of a coaching relationship is. So, whoa, we've got quite a bit of time. Um, so I'm just going to, I guess we're going to call it here. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to uh, take away any more of your time, especially on this lovely day today. Um, thank you very much for, for attending, uh, for signing on to, to this webinar. I hope you found some value in it. I hope you got a little bit of clarity, especially if you're just kind of fit, trying to figure out how to start this stuff, how to start investing, or if you've been investing for a long time and you've had a really kind of a rough experience and you're just trying to right the ship. Hopefully I've gave you some clarity in terms of what options are out there for you to, to engage and to become, you know, embark on an investment journey that's going to be more successful. Hopefully I've asked you some questions that are going to, you're going to think about that I think if you can answer them honestly and truly are going to lead you down a really good, solid path that's going to be, allow you to be more successful. If you want to talk a little bit further about investing paths and try to figure out what you want to do kind of thing and have that kind of conversation, feel free to give me a shout. As I said, uh, I'm a coaching service. I have a retainer program, which is a more monthly type thing. And I also do uh, offer hourly coaching services. Um, if you want to bounce some ideas off, uh, I'm more than happy to do that. So you can just give me a shout through the website. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter all the time. Um, at Sage Investors is my handle. So if you have questions about that, you can hit me through there. Just uh, follow me and uh, ask some questions. I'm always commenting about different stuff, different stuff like that. And if you want to get on my email list, I have an email list too. Um, just go to the website, subscribe, and uh, I send out every Wednesday morning. Uh, I think call it in the loop. 
talk about some stuff I've posted on the website and some things I'm personally reading that are trying to help in my personal and investment decisions. I, I, I'd like to share that with you. So thank you very much, so much for, 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 uh, for, joining, for joining us. And uh, good luck. And I hope to see you in maybe some future uh, uh, webinars. As I said I'm going to be doing a whole bunch more webinars uh, uh, throughout the year. Uh, so keep your, uh, keep your eyes and ears open and, uh, and good luck. And happy investing. Cheers. Okay. And there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you found some, hope you found it enlightening and got yourself a little bit of a different perspective um, on some things and hopefully it gave you some food for thought. And I hope you really understand. Remember at the start, uh, at the intro here, I talked about you know, the questions I get a lot of times. Uh, a lot of times is, uh, you know, I have X amount of dollars. I want to invest it. Should I buy stocks? Should I buy bonds? I, that that kind of question, that immediate kind of answer, people are looking for. And so, what I hope you got from this webinar, this this presentation, was that you just can't get to that answer right away. That answer, ultimately, you're going to get. You need to jump through a few hoops. You need to answer some questions. And one of them is figuring out what your path is. What is your investing path? What is the best path that's compatible with, with, with your lifestyle? And ultimately, you're asking yourself, and I said this in the presentation, and one of the first questions I ask people is, when they're considering about investing, is how much time are they willing to commit to the cause? How much time you really want to, how much time you really want to spend learning about investing? How much time you want to spend actively investing, making investment decisions? Because the answer you, you, you give will determine the path you're going to take. And ultimately, whatever path you're going to take is going to feed into really the types of investments you would want to consider. And so, again, this is a process. Investing is a process. It's a journey. And it's about going down a path. And so hopefully you've gotten, hopefully it's maybe come a little bit clearer that, you know what, you need to figure out what your path is. Second thing also hopefully you came out with it is, is understanding once you figure out what your path is, it's about building competencies. It's about building some core competencies that are going to help you frame your investment decisions a hell of a lot better. Uh, you know, I talk about the triple E. Triple E is my thing. You know, it's about education, it's about engagement, and it's about empowerment. And, you know, people ask me as an investment coach, Amin, what do you do as an investment coach? That's what I do. I, I basically help people with elevate their triple E. Because from my experience, the people that are really the best investors who are really good at doing this stuff, they got really good, strong competencies with respect to the triple E. So I hope you under, uh, got some insights there. I hope you also got some insights into sort of some of the first principles of investing that we often overlook. And really, we need to be asking questions all the time. And I talked about one of those questions, like, why do we invest? Because sometimes it's very easy to lose focus when we're trying to make decisions it's always should be at the forefront of every decision we make. And it doesn't matter what kind of path you walk on to make those decisions. So as I said, as an investment coach, I teach people how to, how to make better investment decisions. And I do it through a combination of education, educating, teaching people the mechanics of buying and selling stocks, as well as understanding, being more aware of the behaviors that can kind of screw up our decision making. And so I teach that. I teach that you know, in real time. And I also teach it through online courses. I have a series of... Uh, online courses I've developed um, that I use, and uh, you're more than welcome to check them out on my website, www.sageinvestors.ca. There's a little button called Courses. You can see the courses I teach, courses on like how, do you, how to figure out buying individual stocks, 
as well as how to buy uh, ETFs. So feel free to check it out. Also, of course, I have my coaching service, which is all really about developing that engagement piece and that empowerment piece. And so if you're interested in talking, looking at some, some, some coaching um, guidance and engaging in some coaching conversations, feel free to give me a shout. I have some packages um, that are available uh, that, that I think are really strong and that can really help you frame your decisions and make decisions um, more independently. So check them out. Again, they're on the website, sageinvestors.ca. If you want to get in touch with me about any questions about this webinar, um, about investing paths, you want to, uh, feel free to reach out um, at, through my website. Or uh, you can go on Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. My, uh, t my handle is at Sage Investors. I'm on there constantly uh, tweeting about my own personal investment decisions as well as my own um, observations of what's going on in the market and how I'm using those to frame my own investment decisions. Because uh, it's one thing for me to teach people how to invest. It's another thing to model the behavior. So I really feel strongly I'm, I'm being transparent on that side of it. I really believe in practicing what you preach. So... That's all I got for you this week. I hope you found that interesting. And uh, that's all I got for you this week on Stock Talk. And my name is Amanarina, again, of Sage Investors. Thank you so much for, for listening in. And uh, we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye.